Michelle, back from Turkey, so glad to have you. And uh, the opportunity to, to, to note, just take note of the fact that our children are progressing in their discipleship. Think about that for a second. It, it starts back there in the back of the room with newborn babies and their parents sitting around in a circle, and they begin to teach and learn and discover about Jesus. And we then walk through a discipleship process that ends down at the end of this hall where our youth, as they finish high school, are, are walking those paths with Christ. And it's our goal as a church to see them mature as disciples through the entire process. And it's our ultimate goal to not ever lose a child. So I pray for your support behind that because that is a big call from God. We have a, a, a person from our church, a young lady from our church, um, who is going off to West Point this year. Um, we have some others who are going off to colleges around the country, Adventist colleges. Pray for them because, you know, college can be a dangerous place to your spiritual life. And so I would pray, ask you to hold them up and to pray for them in the, in the secularized environments and even in the ones that are going to our, our, our Christian schools. You know, um, it can be a difficult time, a tough time as you separate from your family and you start striking out on your own. Um, we have a, a, a young lady who is in Africa today, I believe, correct? And so we pray for Clara. She is on, in mission, on mission today. We have some others who are leaving uh, to go to Bolivia here in a week or so. So continue to pray for them. The kids in our church are doing amazing things. Uh, the parents and the adults just need to try to keep, keep up at this point. And I just want to challenge you with what we, what we have set before them. If you haven't been on a mission trip, go on one. If you haven't taken an opportunity to serve somewhere, if you haven't yet found a ministry that really touches you and makes your heart beat a little faster, keep looking. Find one. Find a place in the church or in the community where you can minister on behalf of God for the kingdom. Because all of us are called to that role. All of us, every single one of us is called to minister in some way. So uh, thank you for the chances to celebrate, for all of those of you who put your effort and time into making this possible today. Um, and David and Mike especially, we are really happy to have you as part of our, our, uh, our family of lay pastors. Um, this morning we're going to move on to Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to do something I've never ever done before. That is finish sermon and communion in 30 minutes. <laughs> Somebody set their watch. And it'll start now. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, we're still following, we're still in that process of watching Matthew's explanations about Jesus' growing picture of who Jesus is. And Matthew is trying to help us see and sort of an arc of Jesus' authority here. So remember where we started. We started back in the beginning with the Beatitudes, with Jesus setting the rules for the kingdom of God. Because everybody understood rules that were really set by the Pharisees, the priests, and the leaders of the church, Jesus came and tweaked the rules a bit. He set new expectations for the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God isn't like that. It's actually like this. You want to see where you start with the kingdom of God? You want to see where assurance comes from? It comes from the first reality that you know that you need it. When you recognize your spiritual poverty, the kingdom of God is your blessing and your promise. And then he continues through that story. If you remember, as we preached through and talked through that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly sort of tweaking things. That's why we were, if you, some of you have a, a visual memory. Some of you remember we were wearing tie-dye for a while there because Jesus is just changing everything. He's upsetting the apple cart. 
And then as he finishes on the mountain like Moses had been, with these proclamations that he's making, as he begins to leave the mountain, remember the leper comes. And Pastor Tim told us what a dramatic moment that must have been as these people just, they could not believe what he was doing, that he actually laid his hands on a leper. And he walks away and they don't know what to do. Should they all give him space and start shouting unclean toward him? But they've just seen a massive miracle. If he can heal a man with leprosy, then certainly it's not going to bother his hand, right? Or, right? Or, I don't know. Seems to be the answer they've got with Jesus all day long. The day continues. He goes into the city of Capernaum and he's approached by a centurion, the dreaded Romans, and a dreaded Roman soldier, and worse, a Roman centurion. This guy comes up to him and asks for help. The fact that a Roman would even ask him for help is amazing. The fact that he would grant help is even more amazing. The fact that he grants help at a distance to, to heal this man's servant who isn't even present. How does anyone ever do that? Then he goes into the village and all he does that night is heal everybody else in the village. That's all. The Bible says that he healed everyone else. So when he finishes at Capernaum that night, nobody's in pain anymore. That's what happens when you join Jesus. Pain starts to go away. You know, you start that, 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 there may still be some physical nagging, but your ultimate pain goes away when you give it to Jesus. Once your, once your salvation is secure and in the hands of Christ, everything else sort of melts away as important. And so he finishes at Capernaum. The evening has come and the disciples and he get on in a boat and they, we don't know it at the time, but he, he's headed across the lake. He's going from northwest to southeast. And as he's headed across the lake, he's on a mission, on a mission from God, very, very truly. And as he arrives at the other shore, he is met by either one or two. It may just be this guy was such an amazing, uh, uh, scary being that the, Matthew's not sure if there were one or two. And in reality, we find out later in this very chapter, Matthew was not an eyewitness to this event. He was not in the, apparently in the boat because he gets called later. He may have seen all the other events that day because he lives right there. But he wasn't apparently an, an eyewitness to the thing that's about to happen. Jesus confronts a legion, get the word, a legion of demons. The Romans bring their legions into Israel and Israel thinks those are the real problems. Jesus finds faith among the Romans, but he confronts a legion of demons and overcomes even them. Oh, and I forgot, by the way, while they were crossing that lake that day, even the wind and the wave, the very elements of the earth obey Jesus. So you can see the arc of his authority growing. Can you see it? He's, he, he starts with the proclamations, then the healing of the leper, then the healing of the centurion servants, then everybody else in the village just for good, good measure, and then the, the, the calming of the waters, and then the con- confrontation with the demon. And now we find him in the beginning of chapter 9, heading back to Capernaum. He's actually been kicked out of town. Any of you have ever been kicked out of somewhere, don't say anything, because we don't want to know why that happened. But Jesus knows what that feels like. He's been asked to leave town. And so he, he fails at his first missionary trip. He's actually kicked out for being over missionary, overly missionary zealous. And so he gets thrown out. He goes back. He gets in the boat. And the Bible says he crosses back across the lake. That's where we're picking things up today. Jesus climbed into the boat and went back across the lake from to his own town. His own town being, do you know what town it is? The little town of Capernaum. He's not going to Nazareth here. He's going to Capernaum here. Okay. As he goes back across town, he's going to the little town of Capernaum. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Now stop. 
What just happened the day before in this town? Everyone was healed. So this guy apparently isn't from around here. He's apparently from another village. He's, he's apparently been tr- brought in from somewhere else. Now, there's a lot of villages around, so it's easy enough for him to have, been come, who have come from another village. As he comes, to the, comes there, there's some great background story we're not getting in Matthew. Matthew doesn't tell us that it was so crowded you couldn't get in. Matthew doesn't tell us that these guys, four of them apparently, nonplussed by the fact that it was crowded, climb up on the roof, make a hole in the roof, which is one of my favorite images in Scripture if you stop and think about it. These guys... These guys tear up somebody's roof to get to Jesus. I just, I love the image. I love the tenacity. And Jesus says to them, as this man is dropped in front of him, and I believe that's probably what actually happened. I'm hoping the disciples held out their hands, but I don't have a lot of faith in those guys yet. Things go a lot better for them later, but can you picture it? I picture the disciples going, huh? <laughs> As he drops in front of Jesus, Jesus doesn't speak of his faith. He speaks of their faith. So the story goes on. And a man is brought to him on a mat, seeing their faith, the faith of the four friends. By, this, by the way, we should have somebody holding their mat. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. And that's the point of the story. That's where the story would end. Be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. This is what I said a minute ago. Once you know your salvation is in the hands of Jesus... Once you know you're covered by the blood of Christ, a lot of other things can be kind of easier to work, to deal with. You know, the, 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 the ultimate end of life is easier to deal with. Though I know my eternity is secure in Jesus. The ups and downs of the day are easy to, easier to deal with if I know my, my, my salvation is secure in Jesus. Once that piece is in place, everything else makes a lot more sense. My son asked me a question this morning. It was more of a comment. Sometimes as your kids get older, they don't really ask questions. They just tell you stuff. That's kind of what this was mostly. But the comment question event was, is ultimate success really simply salvation? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a rhetorical question, clearly. Then if ultimate success is really salvation then anyone who doesn't get that in place has a real mixed up understanding of what success is. And once that's in place and defining success, everything else pales in importance. Because we keep scoring a lot of things that don't matter eternally, right? We keep scoring a lot of ways that don't matter eternally. Size of our house, God doesn't care. He's making a new one. Big or smaller, it doesn't matter. He's making a new one. And you're going to love it. He knows you're going to love it, but he's making you a new one. So don't worry about this one so much. And I don't say, I'm not, I'm not opposed to having a, a, a house. I think houses are good. Sleeping under bridges is a lot more difficult. But I am saying, it's not as big a deal, because success is defined by your salvation, not by any of the other measurements we use. You know, a lot of the things we think about are really about us, not about what God determines and describes as success. And so if you think about this process that's, be, that's going on here, Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And the reality at that moment is, and this is a, is this, I accept this by faith, the reality in that moment is, I think this guy goes, okay, good, good. Okay, I can go home now. Guys, off the roof, come get me. I'm good, I can be paralyzed the rest of my life because my salvation is secure. I can be stuck on this mat the rest of my life because my salvation is secure. I'm good. 
I'm good with God. That means I'm good with everything else. Redefine success in my life. Success in my life isn't even standing. Success in my life is knowing that my salvation is in the hands of Jesus. My salvation is secure. My eternity is secure. I'm good. I'm good. Are you good today? If you aren't, take the opportunity today to get that clear. Take the opportunity today to say, look, Lord, I don't even know how this all works if you don't, or, or I have been avoiding this even though I know all about it, if that's where you are, and say, God, I'd like to get one thing clear before I leave today, and that is that my salvation is in your hands no longer in mine. That my eternity is covered by your blood. It is not up to me. Make that peace right. Get that peace straightened out today before you leave because it sets the tone for everything else. And the peace that it brings to your life will be phenomenal. Will be phenomenal. So the man rests, I think. He think he, I think he's dropped down a little rumpled maybe into the floor. He's landed. He's kind of there. There's nothing he can do about it. The, the heap he lands in is the heap he is in. But when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, breathes out a sigh of relief. I'm okay. Then I'm good. Then I'm okay. But he's not the only one in the room. The place is packed. And some of the people who are there are among the leaders of the church, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Some of those who were there, the, the teachers in religious law said to themselves, no, no, they're saying this to themselves. They're not saying it out loud. Sometimes we think when we pray, it's a revelation to God. Isn't that silly? We think that we come to God and we say, hey, I need some help. It's like the first time he heard. It's not. It's not that you shouldn't pray because prayer transforms who you are. Prayer transforms our dependence. It begins to build a relationship that's, that truly applies who we are. Because they were thinking this, Jesus, these, these people were thinking that that's blasphemy. Why would it be blasphemy? Because they think this is just an ordinary guy. That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Who does he think he is? Offering forgiveness like that. Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, which ought to scare all of us. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? I'll offer you the question. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? Which do you think? probably easier to say stand up and walk really because your sins are forgiven is going to cost, cost jesus a whole lot more the power of the creator is in stand up and walk the suffering of the redeemer is in your sins are forgiven so i will prove to you and this is the point i want you to catch so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus says, I'm going to prove that I have this authority. I'm going to prove it to you. So I will prove to you. Up to this point, there's no, no news about the healing. Guys on the roof are still looking in. Guys on the guy on the front ground is still the same as he was when he came in, as far as anyone can see. But so that I might prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins, let me just show you. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. He said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Oh, I would love to do this right now. I just don't have time. But you got the picture, right? Don't let this just go, oh, and he jumped up. Oh, 
Oh, look, he jumped up. Oh, look. No, this guy was paralyzed and he jumped up. This is not, you know, your kid jumped up. This is not your six-year-old jumped on his bed. This is a guy who's been paralyzed, strapped to that mat by the weight of gravity, unable to move on his own. He wouldn't be here if his friends hadn't brought him. Awkward as it may be, being dropped into the middle of this crowd, it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the faith of other people. And now he's jumping up. Jumping up and 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 jumping out the door and screaming and hollering. And his friends are piling through the hole and down the stairs to come and follow him. The focus of his healing is what comes next, but it's the point that the healing is making that I want you to take today. The point that the healing is making is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He had it then, and it's available now. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. By his stripes, we are healed. This, this person who everybody thought needed to be healed of his broken body, everybody thought it was about the paralysis. This person whom everybody thought really just needed to have his body fixed, Jesus said, it's not about your body, is it? Jesus saw a need beyond what was on the exterior and he said, it's about your soul. Your eternity needs to be right. And again, that is ultimately the question for every single one of us today. Is our eternity settled? Is our ultimate destination settled? Before you leave today, have that quiet prayer with God. Make that statement. If you need some help, call me this week. Contact me. It's, you can contact me. The information's in your bulletins on the website. Reach out to me. I'll help if I can. I'll help you as, as you figure it out. But try to settle it before you leave. More, to, more can be settled by a simple surrender to Jesus than you might think. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace... Through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, by His sacrifice, that that offering that He gave in the cross, that He became the propitiation by His blood through faith, by our trust in Him, His blood covers us, cleanses us. And here's the point. Here's it remade by Paul later. Here's the point being remade by Paul later. To demonstrate... To demonstrate his righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins of those who were previously committed. So in God's forbearance, he had been forgiving sins all along. David's sins were forgiven. A long, long time ago. Seven or eight hundred years ago, David's sins were forgiven. Actually, more than that, it's like nine hundred years ago, David's sins were forgiven. God had been forgiving sins all along, and he hadn't yet done this. He had not yet been sacrificed. And now he comes, and he becomes this propitiation, this offering, this sin-covering death, blood over all of us that we might be cleansed. Are we just saying nothing but the blood of Jesus? Is that not a weird song? (laughs) What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. It's a, it's, a, it's a crazy song. It's not anything that makes sense on earth. But oh, in heaven, in the economy of God, nothing so powerful, nothing so worthy as the blood of Jesus. And then he goes on. So he demonstrated that he had the right to forgive sins in the past. Then he goes on. And to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness... That he might be just, that is Jesus, God, might be just and the justifier. He can say your sins are forgiven. It is if you've never sinned before. He can wipe away your sins and be just and righteous in the activity because he was willing to die that you wouldn't have to. Amen. Yeah, amen about that. Would you all just applaud for that for a second just, just because it's an awesome thing. Sorry I had to ask you to, but that was a really good idea. Thank you in the back. That he can maintain the status as the righteous Lord and creator of the universe and forgive our sins, Jesus died. So that he could remain the righteous Lord and creator of the universe and forgive our sins, Jesus died. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. In Jesus. Today is communion. The stuff in front of me is not just decoration. Today is today we celebrate communion. This is Jesus' grand illustration of what his sacrifice does. This is Jesus' personal illustration of what his sacrifice. I'd like to invite our deacons to come forward. I'd like to invite Pastor Tim to join me. As we celebrate communion, this is you taking part in the illustration Jesus gave us. This is you joining in an illustration. This is a, this is a physical expression of an illustration. There's, there, no, preachers, we, we, we love nothing more than this. That we get you to participate in an illustration is our greatest, our greatest moment. And here is the reality of communion. It is the blood and the body of Christ broken for us. It is the, it is the illustration of church life that describes what Jesus has done, that he might be just and the justifier of those who by faith choose Jesus. So as we celebrate communion today, Pastor Tim and I will be walking you through it. But all we're doing is walking you through the emblems. The reality is, this is your personal illustration of what Jesus is doing. We celebrate open communion here. If you're not a part of our church family, if you're visiting, you're a part of another church, we are open to have you celebrate communion. It is between you and God. If you choose to make this illustration to your children, please make sure you tell them what they're doing. Because this is that illustration, this great picture God left us to demonstrate His power in you. I didn't leave. I, I kind of left you in a, in a spot there, didn't I? Well, yeah. I'm just figuring out. You know, you're talking about illustrations. Yes, and I, I have to share my illustration because it's been so much a part of your life this week. Because it's been all-consuming for my life this week. I am a hack of a mechanic. Hack? 
Hack. H-A-C-K. H-A-C-K. I am a horrible mechanic, but every now and then I'd like to think that I can fix something on my car. And this week on 4th of July, stupid idea, on 4th of July a friend and I tried to replace the front half axle on my Honda Pilot, and we spent probably six hours combined, so at least 12 hours, 12 man hours spent trying to get the half axle off of the carrier bearing to, so I could replace it. And we yanked wait, 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 half the people just went, what? That's okay. I tried to get the axle off of a doohickey that we didn't want to let go. There we go. And so we, we, had, we were doing all sorts of things, banging, pulling, drilling, yanking, and going to the store and buying more tools, and we didn't have the right one. It wasn't until I finally called a friend and got the right tool that the right tool was tink, tink, and it was taken care of in two minutes. Often in our lives, we try to do hack mechanics on our spiritual life. We try to do things that we don't have the right tool for, that we can't even possibly have the right tool for, that it isn't even our tool to have. Jesus has provided that way that when we ask, and communion is that reminder, saying that, hey, I am the master mechanic of your life. And when you have that thing that won't go away, when you have that sin that won't get off, that thing that you just can't let go of, if we ask the master mechanic to come into our lives, it is just a little tink tink. Hmm. And it is removed and taken care of, and we can go back to, through the power of Jesus, being rebuilt, to having new parts put on, to being made whole again in Christ. And I long to be made whole in Christ, just as I long for my Honda Pilot to be whole, (laughs) starting, hopefully, tonight, maybe tomorrow morning. (laughs) I I love that all over the church today, Jesus comes in and goes, tink, tink. That's right. Um. The first of the emblems is the bread. The first of the emblems is the bread. And I see it right here. It says, Walt. The, yeah. It's, where I'm we just now? following the script, man. <laughs> the first of the emblems is the bread. As we share the bread, Jesus describes this as representative of his body. Broken for us. It's broken up. Even, even as you take it, you'll recognize that representation in it. But I want you to remember of the bread and the wine, these things are both true. They are taken into our bodies and dispersed into every cell. The covering and cleansing of Jesus comes into us and disperses to every sin. It's a complete job that Jesus does of cleansing us. So would you join me in a a word of prayer as we share the bread? Father God, this simple representation is such a huge picture. So amazing that you were willing to do it. So powerful in our lives and so transformative in our experiences. As we share this bread today, We ask, Father, 
that we would take into ourselves in this symbol clarity of understanding that your work is complete and whole and your sacrifice is enough that there is no Jesus and and there's no Jesus but it's just Jesus and so as we take this symbol today we take it in acknowledgement that you are enough the cleansing of our entire sin problem in your name we pray Amen talking about the bread when he's writing to the Corinthian family to explain what's going on when they're having communion he says he received this of the Lord he says that in the same night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread he gave thanks for it, to it gave thanks and he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me This is not about nostalgia. This is not about having a warm feeling of remembrance. This is about remembering his sacrifice. This is about remembering the cost of our salvation and recommitting ourselves to it. It's about remembering that he completed that work. And that he challenges and calls all of us to follow him in faith to the next steps of our walk. And so as we each take this emblem today, I invite you to pray and to seek that kind of leadership from Jesus and that kind of surrender in yourself.
He said, each of you take it and eat it. We've been reminded that the body of Christ was broken for us. And on that cross, his blood was also spilled out for us. And so I invite you to pray with me as we ask that God will remind us that it is nothing but his blood that gives us the power to fix our lives. And so, Lord, we just lift up to you this representation a simple small cup of grape juice that reminds us that it is you who has the power that there's nothing else that can come in and remove that sin just like that man on the mat you offer forgiveness to us you offer Recreation, being made whole again. Not in a healing process, but in an instant. And so, Lord, we ask that as we are seeking forgiveness, seeking to be reminded that it is the power of your blood in our lives, that you will bless this juice, that it may serve that purpose, be that small reminder that we rely on you. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. As they were gathered around that table that evening, um, Paul in Corinthians, as he's writing to this church that's struggling to even believe that maybe there's even a resurrection, um, that there's any point to this, reminded them that after the bread had been passed that night, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, in the same manner, Jesus also took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The covenant's not new. It just was in the blood of Jesus now. The new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Jesus said, take, drink. This is my blood poured out for you. Paul tells them, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of his death till he comes. It's not the remembrance of a sad and solemn brokenness in Jesus as its primary point. And certainly that's a piece of it. It's that harsh treatment, his stripes that healed us, his death that that supplanted our need to die. But ultimately... It's that because of that death that we have cleansing and forgiveness. It's because of that death that we are washed white as snow. It's because of that death that we have the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we accept the gift of Jesus' sacrifice for us. It's so powerfully illustrated in what we've done here. We thank you for making it so tactile and so real. The taste is still in our mouth. And we want to embrace the knowledge of your sacrifice, what you were willing to do that we might be saved. Thank you for being, being so amazingly willing to sacrifice a life of absolute sinless purity on behalf of the likes of us. For God, our creator, to come to the earth and make things right because we made such a mess. And Lord, we pray again or we pray anew to be washed of our sins. And pray for the reminder each morning and each day. Covering of your mercy and the call to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.